Hurry up, man. I'm coming, don't worry. Yeah, so's Christmas. That was a familiar exchange for me in my house growing up, having parents waiting, frustrated that the children aren't responding, that they aren't uh, acting in the way that their speech reflected. Promises being made on my part that I was coming, being met with scepticism from my parents, especially my father. Yeah, so's Christmas, he would often remark. My dad would very often doubt that what I said in those circumstances was true. Why would he doubt that? Well, because history had shown him that I wasn't coming. That simply saying that I was didn't really mean anything in that context. That I would come, just not in any sense soon. And as human beings, we are very prone to, to break our promises, aren't we? Our words and our actions are often dimensions apart. They can, they can occupy entirely different spheres and places. And I think that makes us broadly suspicious of anyone who ever makes a promise. Especially when those promises involve inherently in them um, a length of time for them to be kept or to, to materialise. Sadly, that scepticism that we have, that suspicion we have of folks making and breaking promises, can make us suspicious of the promises of God too. Scriptures are filled with promises. Promises that are made to everyone. Promises that are made to specific individuals. And now we are into Advent. Perhaps not far enough in to start marking days off on our Advent calendar, but traditionally, Advent, this time of waiting, we set apart the four Sundays, the four weeks before Christmas Day to anticipate, to, to wait for, to yearn for the coming of Christ. And not just the coming of Christ celebrated, the baby born in the manger, but in the darkness, in the sadness and the sickness, in the hopelessness that we can still feel in this world, waiting for God to keep his promise, for Christ to keep his promise, that he is coming back to make things new once more. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore various times of waiting, folks who are waiting for God to act and this morning, we're going to look at Abraham. Abraham as one who had received promises from God that required him to wait and trust and to believe. Do you know anything about Abraham? If you want to kind of study the life of Abraham as recorded in the scriptures, you need to go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where Abraham first encounters God where his relationship with God begins, and it begins in a faraway place. Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and instructs him to get up and to go, to travel to a place where God would lead him, direct him, and a place in which God had promised to bless him. Abraham and God's relationship uh, took a couple of twists and turns, various events, occasions, that would really help solidify Abraham's faith in God. 
But I want us this morning to focus in on the words of Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 comes hot on the heels of of Abraham being involved in in some fighting and some battles, saving his nephew Lot. And this is what we read in Genesis chapter 15. After this, after um, Abraham going, God granting victory, rescue being achieved, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my house will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, built up in all this is Abram understanding that God could bless him materially in so many ways, but his life would come to an end. At some point, Abraham's days would be numbered and everything that he had accumulated and acquired and received from God in his life would be lost. Culturally speaking, it was very important that he had an heir, a son, to whom he could pass on the blessings that he himself had received. And Abraham was upset, frustrated, confused that God would give him so much, but withhold an actual son from him. That the one who would inherit everything that God had blessed Abraham with in his life would be, um, well, not his son, someone from outside of his household. But God's promise to him was this, no, Abraham, not only will I reward you, give you much in this life, but I'm going to give you an offspring. I'm going to give you a child, your own very flesh and blood. Not a a fake uh, relative, but someone who has come from you. More than that, I'm going to bless that individual. That individual will have a large family and so your descendants will multiply so that at some point we'll be able to look up at the stars of the sky and say, wow, so are the descendants of Abraham. Elsewhere, there are other promises linked to this descendant and the descendants that go on. From him, God promised that kings would come and through him, through this blessing, this special specific blessing that he received, the nations would be blessed. That God wasn't about like hiding his goodness in this one man, in this one family, but through his child, through his children, through his descendants, would bless the entire world. That's quite a remarkable promise, isn't it? That's a promise that you imagine would have been hard for Abraham to believe. Why exactly would it have been so hard for him to believe? to trust, to wait on God to fulfill that promise? Well, for a start, because he was old. 
and his wife was old. When Abraham first encountered God back in Genesis chapter 12, when he was called from his place into another place, he was already 75 years old. Chapter 16, we're going to read another story where, where Abraham and his wife tried to take things into his own hands. And by this point, he's 86 years old. Who knows how long Abraham has been waiting already for this promise to be fulfilled. I'll give the game away. The promise is fulfilled. He has a son, Isaac, when he's 100 years old. And his wife is 90 years old. This promise would have been really hard to, to believe and to trust in because Abraham had a long history of not having children, not having a son. And his experience of life in this world had taught him that people of his and his wife's age simply didn't have children, that they were past it, that the window of opportunity had gone, and so that was that. Well, that's one reason why he might have struggled to trust God, to wait for God to fulfill his promise. Another reason why he may have struggled is because, as I said, God had already made promises when Abraham was 75, that he would bring him into a land, that he would bless him and his offspring in that place. Well, he's already been waiting. And someone coming and saying and repeating, even elaborating an old promise, doesn't make it easier to trust them going forward, does it? And as if this promise of a child wasn't remarkable enough, one of the things that I think would have made this so difficult for Abraham to believe and to trust and to wait for its fulfillment was the grandness of what God was promising. He wasn't just saying that there would be a singular child, which would have been remarkable enough. No, he was saying here that through Abraham, there would be offspring, there would be family as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, I think there's poetic license there. We're not to go out and number the stars in the sky and then try and figure out if the same number of people have ever existed. In fact, astronomers now estimate that for every single grain of sand on planet Earth, there are roughly 10,000 stars in the sky. It's a ridiculously large number, but that's the point. The point is that God is calling him to trust and to wait, not just for one, but for many for a blessing that just cannot be comprehended even. So how does Abraham react? How does Abraham trust and believe in this circumstance? Well, going further into the story, we get a couple of examples of how not to react, how not to trust. It is a hard promise to believe in. The waiting must have been agonizing for both Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And one of the things that they try to do in later chapters is to take things into their own hands, to sort of understand what God has promised for the future and think, well, how are we going to achieve that? How will we reach that goal? They have this scheme, actually, that Abraham is going to go and he's going to, he's going to, uh, um, they have a female slave, a female servant from Egypt along with them, and that she would be the mother of Abraham's child. They scheme. They try to take things into their own hands, and it's, it's not the way that God has promised to do things. It's not the way that God intends to keep his promise to Abraham. 
they laugh it off a little bit as well. Both Abraham and Sarah, when they hear this promise repeated years down the line, they laugh it off. They, they can't understand, they can't believe how, how something sounding so ridiculous could be true. Those are ways not to wait for God. Those are ways not to trust his promises. To think, well, I like the idea of what you've promised, but there's no way you can do it, so I'm going to have to make it materialised. Or to laugh it off and to say, yeah, this is ridiculous, isn't it? That's like saying that you're going to um, produce dry water, like it's just absurd. No. In chapter 15, we see how it is that Abraham can trust God. How it is that Abraham can wait for this promise to be fulfilled. It says in chapter 15 that Abraham believed God. That his trust in him, his belief in him was credited to him as righteousness. How was that? Well, I think it's interesting that when God shows up at the start of chapter 15, he doesn't just come and make the promise, but he reminds Abraham of who he is and what he's already been doing in his life. I am your shield. Remember, I said, Abraham had just come out of battles. He'd just been off to rescue his nephew, Lot. Um, I am your shield, says God. Remember how I've already kept my promises to you. I am your reward. Abraham himself admitted that God had given him so much that he had blessed him in so many ways. He was just frustrated that that blessing might come to an end with him. God reminds him, no, I am the God. I am the God who protects. I am the God who guides. I am the God who has already blessed. You see, Abraham could trust God as he waited because history had taught him, had trained him to see God as a promise keeper, as someone who was faithful and good and active and kind. And you know what? In Abraham's lifetime, that promise was kept. If you read on from chapter 12, where we first meet Abraham, and, and, and later on, loads and loads of stories, chapter 21, Isaac is born. It says this, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Promise fulfilled after all that waiting. She became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time that God had promised him. And Abraham gave him this name, Isaac, to the son that Sarah had born. The promise was kept. The author of Genesis wants us to see not just the keeping of the promise, but the timing of the promise. It was at the very time God had said he would do it. I think that would have been wonderful for Abraham. Wonderful for Sarah. After all that longing, after all that trusting, as the doubts, no doubt, crept in, how much longer can we keep waiting and trusting in God? What God has said was brought to fulfilment. The promise was kept. Isaac arrived and the rest is history. You can read about Isaac and his children and their children. But if that promise was a long time coming, think about the larger promise. The promise for descendants as numerous as the stars. The promise that through a particular child in Abraham's family, the world would be blessed. 
Well, that's a promise that Abraham didn't get to see, even in his old lifetime. He would have known that waiting for that many descendants to be born was even more impossible than a child born in old age. It's actually a, a promise that needed millennia to pass. And yet God is a God who kept his promise, keeps his promises. The New Testament begins with these words, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The child promised to Abraham who would come and would be a blessing to all the nations. That's why Simeon, as John already read at the start of our service in Luke 2, is recorded in this way. Taking Jesus up in his arms and praising God, he said, Sovereign Lord, you have promised. Now you may dismiss your servant in peace because my eyes have seen the salvation which you spoke about. This child coming now is proof that your promise is being fulfilled. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel, a blessing to the entire world. I don't know whether that makes it better or worse in your eyes. That the keeping of God's promise wasn't just waiting the 25 years or so that it was for Isaac to be born. But the keeping of that promise was the thousands of years until Jesus was born. What, what, what do we think then for us today? Having come and looked and sort of considered their waiting and God the promise keeper. How, how is it that we wait well? And in fact, what is it that we are waiting for? Well, we're still waiting for that son, in a sense. We're still waiting for that one to come from heaven to make all things right. We wouldn't stand around complaining as Abraham did. Lord, you've blessed me in this way, but it's going to finish with me. No, we'd probably more likely stand around and say, God, you say that you love the world, that Christ has already come into the world to rescue the world, to save the world, to defeat sin and death and Satan and self, to put an end to suffering and misery. And yet, even this week, in our own church family, we've lost people, haven't we? There has been death, there has been sickness, there is suffering even this morning. So we would say, God, I am still waiting for things to be put right. I am still waiting for every tear to be wiped away, for hunger and thirst and scorching sun to be done away with, as you have promised in your scriptures. We're still waiting for the son who came to come back again to renew all things. That's what we're waiting for. My question is, how do we, how do we wait well? How do we live in this world, in this darkness, knowing that we can enjoy salvation, knowing that those who trust in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, can, can know forgiveness, can know reconciliation with God, can know joy and peace in spite of the circumstances, and yet still yearning, still waiting, still wanting for those things to be like presently felt and real and lived 
to enter into that experience of eternal abundant life. Well, think about the story I started with. Think about the story when I said that I had trained my dad through my history, through my previous actions to doubt when I said that I was on my way. You know, there had been so many interactions that had gone before where I've said that I was coming soon and then I just hadn't. History had trained him to suspect, to be sceptical of the claims that I made. And when Abraham believed God, it wasn't just closing his eyes, crossing his fingers, wishing that this thing which sounded marvellous would be true. No, he'd been trained. He'd been trained to experience God, to see God at work, to trust God in his life. That the one who had done all these things already in his life would be the one who would keep this promise. God came and he said, I am your shield. I am your reward. You can trust me because you have been trusting me. And I've, and I've come through in so many ways. Do you know, I think one of the ways that we can wait well, wait well for the coming, the return of Jesus, for our Saviour to come and to, to make all things new once more, is to choose to train ourselves to, to see all of the ways that God has been faithful. Choose to trust him as we wait for the future promise to be fulfilled. We have already, don't we, the testimony, the history of God coming into our world of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, taking on flesh, living, dying, rising again for our benefit. To train ourselves to see the world through those lenses, to see our lives through those lenses, that he who did not spare his own Son for us sent him as a sacrifice for our sins that that God who has already acted in that way and a myriad of other ways will be faithful to the promise to renew creation, to renew us, to bring us into that new abundant eternal life. God is a, a God who keeps his promises across millennia. So even if we have to wait, that is not an indicator. That is not a clue to God breaking his promise. Because even in that waiting, he continues to be a faithful God to us. We have to train ourselves to remember and to see the ways that God has been faithful in the big things, in Jesus, but also in our lives now. Jesus says that abundant life wasn't just something promised for the future, but it's something that can be entered into now. And we've got to train ourselves to remember the ways that God continues to show grace to us to name those things that he is about doing in our lives and say, that's the sort of God who has said he's going to put things right. If I can trust him with that, then I should trust him for the future too. If you're a believer, then the fact that you've come to see, to know in the scriptures is described as a miracle on the scale of creation. He who spoke light into darkness Genesis 1 is the one who has shone the light of the knowledge of the, of the glory of God in Jesus Christ into our blind eyes and our hearts. He's taken us from darkness into light. You can 
name so many things in your own life where, where when you look back, you say, do you know what? God was with me. God was in it. I was reading a Second Corinthians just as my personal quiet times quite recently. And I love the way that, that Paul spoke about God as the comfortant. He said, you know, how does he highlight God comforting him? He said, Titus came. Paul was someone who could see God's grace and his involvement in all of his life. So much so that when a simple thing like a friend traveling to be with him, Paul was able to say, see, God is a God who brings comfort. We need to train ourselves so that when we consider God's promises, we're not skeptical, but we're faithful. We're filled with faith. Abraham believed God. Do you believe? Do you trust that Christ has come? That Christ has done everything that is necessary for you to be right with God? Do you believe? Do you trust that Christ will come again? to iron out all of the wrinkles, to build up what is broken down, to restore and to renew what was good that has gone bad but will be made great and glorious once more. Do you believe? Do you trust? My prayer is that you will see, that you will have your eyes opened and that you will be able to wait with joy for the coming of Christ once more. Lord God, help us to wait. It's not a situation and a circumstance we choose to be in. We can be impatient. Abraham wanted to have that promise fulfilled sooner rather than later. But Lord, in your wisdom, things work out in your timing according to your will. Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and so we ask for that now in Jesus's name that you would give us the patience the humility and the faith to trust you trust you that Christ who came to save will come again in glory and make all things new we're so grateful for your spirit who is at work in us and around us. Lord, may your spirit do this work in us. Help us to be a people who patiently wait for the sun to come. 